improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at mainecf.org. WERU Community Radio has a party coming up on Saturday, May 6th from 11 to 2, and everyone is invited. Our birthday celebration right here at the radio station on Route 1 in East Orland is a great opportunity to celebrate 29 years of WERU and to meet people who love and support the radio station, listeners and volunteers alike. Listen and dance to great live music headlined by People of Earth with other artists to be announced. We'll have delicious food, a music sale, station tours, and more. And the whole thing will be broadcast live on WERU. That's the WERU birthday celebration, Saturday, May 6th from 11 to 2, here at WERU on Route 1, heading east, six miles from Bucksport. We hope you can make it. WERU is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. Thank you. And we've got about 15 seconds before the hour of 10 o'clock and talk the town times. It is 50 degrees outside, looking for a high of 58 today. Sunny skies, mostly clear tonight and 31. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Hunger Pains. That's the title of a recent report on food security in Maine, indicating that one adult in every six and one child in every four are regularly affected by hunger. While growing food insecurity is largely the result of systemic problems and policies, local food pantries have gone into high gear to help meet those needs. And I'm delighted to have some folks in the studio who can help us um, understand um, the local um, scene, and and we'll talk about some of the policy implications as well. Uh, Jennifer Jones is the director of uh, Bar Harbor Food Pantry. Welcome to you, Jenny. Hi, thanks for having me. And she's joined by Emily Herwitten, um, who is with Healthy Acadia, um, an AmeriCorps volunteer there. Hi, yes, nice to be here. Glad <laughs> to have you with us. And I think we're joined um, on the phone by Clara Whitney of Good Shepherd Food Bank. Welcome. Hi there, yes, I'm here. Great, I'm so glad you're here, Clara. Um, Clara, why don't we start with you, uh, if you give us a little bit of a sense of, of the uh, statewide mission of Good Shepherd and how it does its work, um, that would be a, a helpful introduction. Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me today. Um, Good Shepherd Food Bank uh, is Maine's statewide food bank. So we uh, serve the entire state of Maine by sourcing and distributing food, uh, and that food goes out to local agencies like food pantries and meal sites uh, in all 16 counties. So last year in 2016, Good Shepherd Food Bank and our, our statewide network of partner agencies distributed 21 million meals uh, to Maine families and seniors and others who are facing hunger. Uh, And so that's uh, a great partnership that takes place between donors, uh, food donors, local farmers, uh, financial donors in the community, uh, and then the food bank sourcing all that food and distributing out to the, the local agencies um, who actually do the uh, the hard and much needed work of serving people in need in their communities? Mm. And how did you get involved in all of this, um, Clara? I have been with the food bank for just over six years now, um, and am from Maine originally. I uh, went away for a while, as many people do, and sure. um, and when I came back, uh, I was able to start work really right away with the food bank helping to raise awareness about the organization um, and communicate the work that we do 
and also advocate for um, policies here in Maine and also nationally that um, help us meet our mission of making sure that all Mainers have access to the nutritious food that they need. Mm. Well, uh, uh, Jennifer Jones, give us a little bit of your background and and the background of the Far Harbor Food Pantry. Sure. So I came to the Food Pantry about a year and a half ago as their executive director, and it's been a great year and a half. And before that, I was in the education field um, and in and out of the state of Maine, not born and raised here, but came for college um, and decided to put down roots here. Mm. And at the pantry, we serve all of Hancock County. We've been a nonprofit for 10 years. And we started with some local churches, and we've just moved to be a much larger organization from there, and we've got our own space. And last year for 2016, we served 380 households within Hancock County, which contributes to 853 individuals. Mm. And so that is that odd to have one food pantry in a, in a particular town serve the whole county? What's the relationship there? Um, we are a little bit different in that sense that we're able to serve such a large area. And I, the reasoning behind that is we have a lot of people that can't live on the island, but they commute there for work. And so it might be easier for them to get to our pantry because of where they're working than to try to get to their local pantry. So we just opened up that whole Hancock County to serve. Um, and we are slightly different than other pantries. We have open hours that people can come shop. So we don't pack meal boxes or anything, and people don't need to make an appointment with us. They can just come during those open hours and shop as they are at a grocery store. Mm. And you're part of a network of, of uh, food pantries in, in the region. If you could just describe a little bit about who, who are some of the other players um, at the local level. On the local level, we have Loaves and Fishes in Ellsworth. Um, there's the EMEA shelter that we see a lot. Um, there's Goldsboro. Um, thank you for that list. Actually, <laughs> Emily might be able to list more of them than I. She's just better at that. There's the Island Pantry, Lifeline Food Pantry, um, Everybody Eats, which is a community meal program, Bread of Life, Good Common Soup Kitchen. So a lot of awesome programming going around food. Um, in our area. And Healthy Acadia, um, Emily, um, helps with the coordination of many of these kind of diverse organizations. Is that right? Right, yes. So all these pantries and meals that Jenny listed are part of the Hancock County Food Security Network, which Healthy Acadia uh, collaborates with the Humane Cooperative Extension to convene um, these network meetings uh, about four times a year. Um, and from this network was born the Hancock County Food Drive, which we'll talk a little bit mm-hmm. more about later. Mm. And uh, tell us a, bil- a little bit about um, Healthy Acadia. Well, Healthy Acadia is a community health nonprofit that serves both Hancock and Washington counties. Our mission is to empower organizations and people to build vibrant and healthy communities in both counties. Um, we do a number of community health initiatives. Um, I'm mostly familiar with the food and nutrition programs. Um, we offer uh, free cooking classes and nutrition classes throughout both counties at different points in the year. Um, We also help improve access to local fresh produce through food pantries and these community meals um, through our gleaning initiative, which helps get fresh produce from local farms to pantries, meal sites, other food security organizations um, from farms where these produce this produce would otherwise go to waste. Mm, we were originally going to have Hannah Semler on. She's the, the gleaning coordinator, I guess. So that's a, a kind of a, a program that operates year-round but focuses on what happens at the end of the harvest. Yes, exactly. Mm, mm. So tell us a little bit more about some of the nutrition-type um, programs that you're involved in. Um, well, as an AmeriCorps VISTA, I focus on improving access to federal nutrition programs um, locally at the, in Hancock County. Um, So namely SNAP or the food stamp program, also summer meals and the senior farm share program. And I'm also pretty involved in um, the Hancock County Food Security Network and coordinating the Hancock County Food Drive, which just wrapped up last month. Mm. What what does improving access look like? (laughs) How do you do that? Um, Well, it's difficult. Um, Sometimes it can just be uh, spreading information and awareness about it. Maine does have a high participation rate in the SNAP program, so a lot of people know about it or have, you know, are benefiting from it, but it might be just spreading awareness about different rule changes that have been have, that have come to pass in the past few years that mm. affect people who receive mm-hmm. SNAP. So the uh, food drive has happened for a number of years. Talk a little bit about that. Both of you were involved in that. Um, 
Sure. So this is this was the sixth annual Hancock County Food Drive. I've only been involved for the past two years. Um, it's a month-long countywide food and fundraising drive um, that works to support um, food pantries and community meals, other food security organizations, just in Hancock County. Um, it was born out of the, the network that I just mentioned earlier, and it was timed in this late winter, early spring time um, because pantries were finding that their shelves were particularly bare during this time and that their client, they were seeing a lot more clients during this time that I'm sure Jenny can talk more about. Mm. Absolutely. Um, January through about April is our busiest time of the year at the pantry just due to the seasonal workers have stopped working. Um, winter's come, so there's plowing that might, they might need paying for heat, and there's just a lot of trade-offs happening in households. Um, so we've recently seen about 40 to 45 households every day that we've been open January through March, which is roughly 90 to like 120 individuals each time. Um, and so March is a great time for that food drive. Uh, I think the Hancock County food drive was very successful this year. We had online donation platform. We just really banded together and were able to have drives outside of grocery stores every Saturday through the month and just a lot of fun events going around with it and just creating more awareness, you know. Um, we saw over a thousand items that came to our pantry through that distribution. And it's just huge to help those smaller pantries that don't have the volunteer base. Like I feel pretty lucky. Our pantry has a lot of great volunteers. We have a great community on the Island. Um, but that's not the same for other pantries. So when we all come together like that, we really help out those smaller town pantries that really need it the most. Mm. Clara, um, is this a fairly typical kind of uh, portrait of how um, a county in Maine um, looks at its food security issues? Uh, well, this will this would really actually be sort of a model of, of best practice. Um, Good Shepherd Food Bank partners with about 400 local agencies all across the state, and um, it, they really range in um, capacity and in the amount of local support that they're able to um, garner, but but really the, the best practice is that uh, exactly what's happening in Hancock County, that the organizations uh, work together, collaborate, and, um, and really build local support for what they're doing so that they have sustainability as organizations and they're able to um, keep doing this work on and on despite um, whether need goes up or down, whether fundraising goes up or down. Um, building that local infrastructure and, and support network is really helpful. Um, and we find at the food bank that we're able to um, help provide a lot of the food that our partner agencies need, but certainly not all of it. Um, our, our recent survey of partner agencies showed that um, on average agencies say that they receive about 68% of the food through the food bank. Um, so that means that there's an additional uh, amount that needs to be sourced uh, from other other places, um, from local food drives, from local farmers, from um, local companies that the food bank isn't affiliated with. So really what's happening in Hancock County is a, is a great model for what we would encourage um, pantries and meal sites all across the state to do. Mm. And uh, staying with you, Clara, uh, how, does, how does the Good uh, Shepherd Food Bank actually function? Um, you uh, gather food from an, a variety of sources, and there's a monetary exchange that happens with individual uh, food pantries. Is that right? Sure. So um, what the food bank does is we source um, donated food and also purchased food because we can't, we can't get enough simply through donations. Um, but the majority of the food that we distribute is donated, and it's coming from the large retailers like Hannaford, Walmart, Shaw's, um, some food manufacturers, uh, and some farmers. And so all those food donations um, either come to the food bank uh, where we inspect and sort the food, um, or at, at times it goes directly from a local retail store, like a local Hannaford, to the local food pantry, um, where they then do that inspection. So, um, and then, as I mentioned, additionally, the food bank purchases food, so we're able to negotiate um, wholesale or sometimes even lower than wholesale prices um, on large loads of food, and then um, distribute that food out across the state. And so... As you mentioned, there is uh, what's called a shared maintenance fee. So um, it does, um, 
as um, as we say, it, it costs a lot of money to distribute free food. Unfortunately, there's a lot of transportation costs, handling costs, as I mentioned, inspection and sorting. Um, and so our partner agencies um, pay what's called a shared maintenance fee, and that ranges anywhere from um, zero to 16 cents a pound um, for that donated food. So a lot of food that we distribute goes out completely free of charge. Uh, fresh produce all goes out the door free of charge. Um, and then other products um, like, for instance, um, meat or protein will have a shared maintenance fee um, up to 16 cents a pound uh, associated with it to help mm. cover all those costs. Sure, sure. Um, and then the purchased product generally goes out at cost. So, mm. It's, it's a little more complex than um, so someone might think, but uh, in general, our, our main goal there is just to keep costs down because we know that local food pantries um, are, are generally working on very shoestring budgets, and we're all fundraising mm-hmm. um, for everything that we're doing. So um, it's a difficult challenge, but uh, a great partnership at the same time. Great. And, and uh, uh, Jenny Jones, um, the Bar Harbor Food Pantry uh, ad- adapted a model um, from Blue Hill um, in which you're raising some of your dollars through a, um, a clothing store. Tell us a little bit about that aspect of your, your operation. Yeah. So the previous director, Kate, put together a model and we have serendipity. And at first we started in Hull's Cove and now we're in downtown Bar Harbor. And we take all donated clothing items, jewelries, you know, random households if they're small items, and resell them. And that last year generated $61,000. So it's about 35% of our operating budget goes um, comes comes from that and goes to buying food over at the pantry, um, which is amazing. And it also gives the local community a place to donate locally and to shop locally and we've just had really great feedback um to having that in town Mm -hmm. for everyone on the island so and and this this notion so um 61,000 is how much percent of your overall budget roughly Uh, roughly overall budget maybe 20 percent so you know there is some cost associated with being in bar harbor for that position uh having that space so we pay a little bit of a rent and then also my salary and ordering food and things like that um so where does the rest of the money come from to to support uh, your budget the rest of the money comes from fundraising and and donors Mm -hmm. um we're very lucky in bar harbor to have a very strong donor base um which is why i think for us as a pantry it's important to really participate in the hancock county food drive to bring awareness to the whole county of what's going on because those other pantries don't necessarily have that donor support the way we do on the island Mm. you're tuned to talk of the towns here this morning we're talking about working towards food security in maine and in the studio with us we have jennifer jones who's the executive director of the bar harbor food pantry and emily herwitten who is the um uh, works with healthy acadia and works with the nutrition programs there as an americorps vista volunteer um and on, on the phone with us is clara whitney of the good shepherd food bank and it seems like we're doing a great job but it feels as though this is a band-aid to some real policy issues and i think the the recent report um that was called hunger pains that that good shepherd food bank and preble street in portland uh commissioned um is is a good illustration of the difference between serve, serving people who are in need right now and some of the policy changes so i'd like uh, clara if Claire, if you would, um, describe how that report came about and some of the key findings. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so we we work closely with our friends at Preble Street and sort of, um, you know, on an ongoing basis, uh, analyze what's going on um, with food security in Maine and the challenge that we have in front of us. And what we were realizing, uh, each year USDA releases data on food insecurity across the country and within each state. And uh, what we were noticing was that national food insecurity rates were starting to fall. In states across the country, rates were starting to fall. But the rate of food insecurity in Maine was stuck at this elevated level. Um, You know, we had a great Uh, increase in need coinciding with the Great Recession, and we were not seeing rates fall in Maine as as people were starting to see across the country. 
Uh, and so we wanted to dig into that a little bit and try to understand why um, we were stuck at this level of having 16% of Maine households struggling with food insecurity. So we did a, a large survey um, with participants at, at food pantries across the state. Uh, we surveyed over 2,000 individuals um, across all 16 counties and, um, and asked a series of questions about what they were facing, uh, what brought them to the pantry, how many times they have to go there, uh, and whether they participate in the food stamp program, SNAP, um, and a, a number of different questions, uh, trade-offs that they have to make. So we gathered just a wealth of information about what folks are facing on the ground and the realities of struggling with food insecurity in Maine. Uh, and we're able to piece together a picture of why uh, it seems Maine is still stuck at this elevated level of food insecurity despite the best efforts of charitable organizations uh, like the ones that you are speaking with today. So um, that was the purpose of the study, and um, you know I think it really is helpful to those of us who are doing this work to understand this broader systemic picture. So um, can you can you give us some some um, ideas about why Maine is stuck? Absolutely. So um, we we found a number of different things. Um, we found uh, some of the ones that really jump out. Eighty-seven uh, percent of households that we that we uh, surveyed have either a child, a senior, or a person with disabilities in the home. So really what we found is that the food pantry network, um, the vast majority of the folks that we are serving are these vulnerable populations. Um, and so that uh, while, we, while we sort of um, knew that in our guts going in, uh, the data really backs it up. The other thing that was striking to us is that we found that uh, one in four people we spoke to had lost access to SNAP benefits within the past year. Uh, and some of those, so 25% is, to me, that, you know, that was a striking response um, that so many people had lost access to food stamps. Um, and for, for a portion of those people, uh, you know, it might have been a job that brought them just over the income limits where they were no longer eligible, but of course we were still finding them at the food pantry, so they were not food secure. Um, but for, for a large number of people, it was recent policy changes that Maine uh, has enacted that dropped them from the SNAP role. So it really showed us that, um, that decisions that are being made uh, for the state by policymakers are having an impact on food security in, in the state of Maine, and we're seeing people show up at food pantries all across the state um, due to changes in, in SNAP policy. And so now we have this evidence to take to lawmakers, and I think it, it's, it, it paints a picture for them um, where they, you know, they should consider taking corrective action to make sure that people have access to SNAP benefits. So it sounds as though, and it's hard to, to make these generalizations, but it sounds as though if we're dealing with people who are vulnerable in lots of different ways and you remove um, the benefits through other programs, um, whether it's the food stamp or SNAP programs or other forms of support like um, Medicaid, um, people are going to end up in, in food pantries. Absolutely. And then that makes it even harder for people to get back on their feet. I think sort of the philosophical difference here is that um, programs such as SNAP, some people believe, serve as a disincentive um, to work, which we have found through our work seems to be more of a myth than anything else. Um, what we have found is that, first of all, um, you know, most people who are on SNAP who are able to work are working. Um, and, and second of all, if you take away someone's access to food or someone's access to health care, really, practically speaking, what that means is that it then becomes harder for them to get back on their feet because now they're having to take time out of their day to stand in line at the food pantry for an hour or more, whatever it takes. Um, they're having to prioritize, how do I find food? How do I get this medical issue taken care of? Instead of prioritizing 
um, a job interview or a job search or whatever else they might need to do. So really, um, sort of these sorts of policy changes, but I think the assumption, the intent is this will help people, it'll spur them into action and help them get back on their feet. Really, they have, um, in practice, they have the opposite effect. Mm. Um, are there other myths that you uncovered in this um, um, wonderful study that um, is giving us some details? Really, there, there's a lot um, <laughs> in the study, and I would encourage people um, to go onto feedingmaine.org to find there's an executive summary and a full report, and you can really dig in. Um, we did this, as I said, as a survey and also a series of follow-up focus groups. It could be an entire, I mean, it, it could be a massive, massive project because it feels a little bit like the tip of the iceberg of trying to piece together this picture of why is Maine stuck. There's workforce issues. There's health issues. Um, there are so many pieces to this puzzle. So really, I would encourage people to look at the study and, and start to dig into these issues because they're complex, and, but it, it does help you understand that, you know, what you see happening at the local food pantry is so, so important, and it's part of a much bigger picture of um, systemic issues that are, are keeping people down, unfortunately. Mm. And it sounds as though um, you're beginning to make some inroads with some of the um, members of the legislature and, and policymakers to at least you have some facts and figures to share with them. Absolutely. And, you know, they have such a hard job to do. Um, and, and we understand that, you know, we, our, our president um, always says the best tool in our toolbox for making sure families are food secure is a good job and, uh, you know, wages and income that can sustain the family. So um, lawmakers have a tough job on there in front of them and in, in trying to bring Maine's economy into the future and make sure we have jobs and incomes that can sustain families. But our part of that is just educating them a bit about the hunger problem and, um, the diff- different factors that play in and how they can, through policy, make a real positive difference in people's lives. And again, um, information about that um, study, uh, where can they find, listeners find that again? Sure, you can go to feedingmaine.org, which is Good Shepherd Food Bank's website. Uh, click on the Hunger in Maine tab and you'll be there. Great. And um, that that website will also give information about Good Shepherd Food Bank if people are interested in helping you out at the state level. Absolutely, it will. Great. Clara Whitney, thanks so much for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. Thank you very much. Take care. Uh, Clara Whitney is, is with Good Shepherd Food Bank. We have in the studio um, uh, Jennifer Jones, who is the executive director of the Bar Harbor Food Pantry, and Emily Herwitten of the um, Healthy Acadia uh, program. Um, and uh, a little response uh, first from uh, Jenny. Uh, when you saw the, the results of this survey, did this ring true to, the, to the, your situation and the clients that you're serving? Yeah, like uh, Clara mentioned, it's that gut feeling. And now we have a lot of numbers to back up that gut feeling. Um, Just from being in the pantry this past year and a half and just meeting my clients and constituents that are there and talking with them, everything they found on these surveys I find to be true just in conversations with my clients. Um, And on the island, a lot of those trade-offs, you know, in the wintertime is like we're so seasonal. There's not a lot of work Um, There's also no public transportation, and it costs a lot to maintain a vehicle. Um, Housing is difficult, so there's a lot going on, even on MDI, that's the same across the state as far as those big trade-offs people are making to get to work or can't find jobs or can't afford affordable housing. And that trade-off is that we're there and they Mm -hmm. can save money not going to the grocery store and coming to the pantry. Mm. And as you um, talk about the issue um, locally, um, do you um, talk about some myths about who food pantry clients are? What what are some of the things that you try to educate people around? Absolutely. Um, Recently there was an article I helped write with Caroline Pryor, a really great volunteer for us, um, about some of those myths of our local population. And I think the biggest one is people think those coming to me are people that don't want to work or are maybe substance abuse users. um, And that's not the case. The majority of my clients 
are are working poor on the island. They're working multiple jobs all season long. They're trying to save money. Um, they're using the Island Explorer to get around to different jobs all summer long, but then don't have a vehicle in the winter. Um, so they're working really hard, and they're probably working harder than a lot of us because they're working 16 or 18-hour days when they can. Um, and so I just want, and they want access to really good quality food. Uh, you know, I spend about $800 a week on bringing in produce and dairy to the pantry and those things go like hotcakes. You know, they're the things flying off the shelves. It's my produce and my good quality meat and dairy and eggs. And, um, they, they want that they're going to eat that. Um, and they're a vulnerable population to not have good health and, food is like the best preventable medicine we can give somebody. So I think if we can provide better quality food at this level, we see it, you know, a trickling effect that they're not going to the hospital as often and uh, they're just healthier. And so in general, our community is healthier. Mm. Well, you've arranged for um, one of the clients that you serve um, to speak with us by phone and she's with us on the, on the line now. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. If you could um, tell us first how you found out about the Bar Harbor Food Pantry and, and how how did you um, begin to use the the pantry? Uh, yeah, I'm. Um, I first uh, heard about it through Jenny. Um, I was doing a little bit of work for her um, um, because I I do, am a seasonal worker. Uh, my job is in the summer mostly, and uh, then I try to do some uh, computer graphics work in the winter and pick up some jobs that way. Um, and I had known about the food pantry, but. I'm like so many people who didn't understand that I would qualify to use it. Um, I'm 45 years old and, and single and single household. And uh, and while I'm not in any sort of dire financial situation, um, I I don't have a lot of extra to save for the future. Um, you know, as long as there's no catastrophe, I'm pretty much okay. But uh, right. um, it's, uh, I was, I mean, I, I it's, uh, it's interesting what you're saying about making compromises. I mean, I, I have to make compromises mm -hmm. that I don't even realize I'm making as far as, um, uh, you know, I'm very frugal and I'll, I, you know, if I go to the grocery store, I'll be thinking about, well, how much can I save here? And um, I will buy a certain amount of things that I kind of know, you know, okay, I can get by with, with this, but I'm not going to buy a lot of meats. Um, and going to the pantry has kept my diet much more diversified mm. in the winter. And I feel like I'm a lot healthier um, in the winter than I would be, um, and that's that's a huge like that's been huge to me the last two winters that I've been using the food pantry. Mm. What's it What's it like to use the food pantry? Describe um, when you go there. Um, what What's that experience like? Um, I I that's another thing I'm thinking about. People who are afraid to take advantage where they don't think they qualify. Um, you know, the when I walk in the food pantry, I see that you know um, they're regulating. I mean, they have it set up so that. Uh, that they know how much they can provide. They know um, they know how many times you can come, and so so I feel like oh look. And they also they also they have signs out you know for the different sections of how much you can take. Mm -hmm. um, so you know in that way I realize oh you know I I mean if there's if I'm if I'm taking if I'm taking more than my allotment you know I I will know or um, so I feel like in that way. I understand better how all this, I understand better how the food system is managed. Sure, um, sure. And, uh, and it's always just really positive. Everyone's friendly. It's um, they they display the food really beautifully. They've done a lot of really nice work with sort of the produce section. And um, there's people there to help you. Um, and it's just. So yeah, it's, it's, so it's a, a great. Uh, you know, I've great. I've been there, and it's it's like a mini store. You're basically, yeah, yeah. You have it a, it's a store-like experience. And that's that yeah, must mm -hmm. be different um, from some food pantries that kind of put it in boxes and, and you go out with the box, but you don't get to choose much. Is that right, Jenny? Yeah, um, we want our clients to be able to take food that they're going to eat. Mm -hmm. So it definitely saves on our end, and it also reduces food waste. We wouldn't right. want to give somebody food that they're not going to eat. Right. And our, our caller, um, what would you tell someone who might be a little hesitant to use the services of Bar Harbor Food Pantry or a food pantry elsewhere in, in the state of Maine? What would you tell them? What hurdle would you say, try to get over this so that you can take advantage of, of a food pantry? What, do you, what, what advice would you have? Yeah, and I actually have done that quite a bit. I have a lot of friends that I who are coworkers of mine um, in my seasonal job that I sort of impress upon them. 
you know, oh, you know, there's this resource um, you can use, and, and they all think that they don't really qualify or they think they're taking food away from people. And um, so I always try to emphasize that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of food um, and, and you don't have to be desperate, mm-hmm. you know, to be using it. Um, it can just be a matter of the fact that you are making compromises in terms of, um, you know, savings for the future. And if you don't have a lot of extra income, um, the food pantry is a great supplement, and and also I, I also I try to explain to them about the gleaning, you know, mm-hmm. where um, sort of preventing food waste is really important to me, and so um, I I feel like that's a great way to contribute as far as you know let's help eat this food, mm-hmm. um, and all these you know things that would otherwise go to waste, um, and and yeah. then, and of course I had a friend I was just talking to the other day who um, is working two jobs this winter and he'll be going back to the seasonal job um, that I work and. And he, you know, said he was too proud to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I, uh, I was like, well, it, uh, I, I don't know if it depends on, I mean, you can't, it's hard to, it's hard to speak to that. I mean, it's hard to, mm-hmm. hard to um, convince somebody not to feel vulnerable sure. um, when they walk into the food pantry and sort of, you know, think about being wider there or being self-conscious about why they're there right. or not. Well, I think um, we're uh, unfortunately given this notion that um, it's somehow shameful to ask for help. And um, the the situation that you find yourself in and so many others find themselves in is not of their making. And um, so help is what we're supposed to be doing as as neighbors. And uh, so thank you for your voice, for for being able to speak out and and tell people your story. All right. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, We're talking about um, working towards food security in Maine, and we have some great guests in the studio who could help us with that. But we'll also open up our phone lines right now, 1-866-625-9378 or locally, 469-0500. Give us a call and share your experience, your questions, your insights into the question of food security or food insecurity here in Maine, hunger, basically. Um, uh, Jennifer Jones, would would you like to say anything more about the kinds of clients that you serve and and the difficulty that they have um, either coming in the first place or kind of making some of those hard choices? Sure. Um, I definitely think, as our great Colin client mentioned, it's that pride feeling and a lot of Um, My clients, you know, I think the greatest thing I get is when they say, I'm so glad I came and you are all so warm and welcoming and so helpful. And, you know, they might only come that once and that might be the only visit they need to kind of like get back on track. Um, They might come for a few years before they're able to really save to be in a position to not come. Um, And my goal is exactly that. Like we don't have any restrictions to come. You just need to be a Hancock County resident. And um, it's that way because a lot of people that need that help may not have other documentation to show me as far as like income or jobs or things like that. Um, and we, we also don't want to put stipulations on that because it deters people that needs the help the most to come and get the help. Because mm. um, it adds that level of shame to somebody and I you know that's something I've been trying to educate our greater public on is that it's not my place to judge Um, people's situations change overnight there's a house fire there's a car accident there's a medical issue Um, you know I've been blessed that that hasn't happened to me but who's to say it might not someday so I think that's one of a a myth is like these people aren't in these situations because they want to be or they ask to be like this is life and life is very unpredictable Mm -hmm. we have a caller Um, welcome to talk of the towns BD from Camden welcome um, go ahead with your question or comment Um, yeah I'm calling as a gardener mostly Um, I didn't think I had um, much to offer food pantries for a long time but I've learned that um, now people are pretty eager for fresh produce so at the end of the season when we have too much it's a wonderful place to you know you're not wasting anything and they're really happy to get it and then in the winter i have um vegetables stored and sometimes you know i'm i don't have a family living here anymore and uh, i keep gardening and so I can take the winter vegetables there, sure. and they're really happy for that because now they seem to know how to use fresh vegetables, which didn't seem tr- 
true like 20 years ago or whenever. Uh-huh. And then um, I have a friend who died, and I've been taking package goods, uh, which, I mean, he wouldn't have liked to have them wasted, and, and they can look and see whether this is going to be too old or not and make their decision at the food pantry. So it's, uh, it's a great relief to be able to take this food to people who need it. Oh, that's great. And I think that's part of a larger trend, too, and I'll get uh, uh, Clara Whitney to, to uh, excuse me, Emily Herdon to talk about that notion that um, gardeners can actually grow food that goes into food pantries, and I think you and, and Cooperative Extension are, are working on those kinds of programs. Yes, exactly, and the Cooperative Extension also has a program called the Eat Well Volunteer Program, um, where they train volunteers to go into pantries and provide some nutrition education, um, how to prepare these fresh vegetables that maybe um, clients haven't seen before because they don't grow them themselves or haven't been able to get them before. Um, so that's a great way that the Cooperative Extension tries to um, collaborate with these gleaning opportunities mm. when pantries have this wonderful influx of fresh produce. Do, do, do people still do a grow a row type program? Yes. So, yes, so they they're, do. they're actually gardeners who say, I'm growing an extra row for the food pantry in my in my community. Yeah, exactly. And I would encourage people if they, if they have a garden and they want to get connected to pantries, you know, reach out and talk to those pantries and see what kind of produce they, they're interested in. You know, it's wonderful to take them produce that you have, but it's even better to go to that next step and um, grow something that you know that their pantry, that their clients want and need. Mm. 1-866-625 9378. We have a caller from Bar Harbor. Ralph, go ahead. Um, you're on the air. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes. Do you have a question or comment? I do. Um, I just wanted to share with the uh, listeners today, the Bar Harbor Food Pantry has had uh, a huge impact uh, just recently in somebody that I happen to know. I was at breakfast with somebody and just randomly sharing with them my volunteer involvement with the Bar Harbor Food Pantry. And they openly shared with me that the Bar Harbor Food Pantry was, and and I want to quote this person. I'm sorry that I'm leaving this person nameless because it's really their story to tell. But they said the Bar Harbor Food Pantry was instrumental in saving my life. Mm. And so, and he expounded on that, and I will leave that for a later time for him. But um, I just want to say you guys had spoken to the issue of judgments and, and assumptions that are made on who uses those services. And I want to uh, reiterate the fact that don't make those assumptions because sometimes it could be somebody who very much is very motivated to work, very motivated to have a good life, very motivated to do those things such as we all strive for. And um, these services can be life-saving, life-changing, and be the very essence of what somebody might need at, at a tough time in life. Mm. Ralph, thanks so much for your call and your voice in this effort and your right. and your volunteer work. Thank you. Thanks. I believe we have another call. No, no more calls, but we would welcome more calls, one 625 or 469-0500. Um, so, Jenny, you've got a, a board of directors. I think Ralph is a member of that board. He That's is. one of the ways that yeah. he volunteers in the community. Um, tell us a little bit about how... Uh, how that group, some of them are representing churches, I understand, that were yes. part of the original group, but you're reaching out to other people to serve as well. We are. Um, so our board's made up of some church representatives that were some of the founding organizations and now sponsoring organizations. They provide volunteers for us um, on our rotating schedule, along with the Rotary um, over at the pantry, which has been great, great network of volunteers. We're very lucky in having that. Um, and how we've spearheaded. And then we also have at-large community members that are involved in the community in a different way, bringing a great perspective. Um, and, you know, our organization has gone through a large transition. Um, we're, in, we're not this tiny little pantry that we were 10 years ago when we started, and we're much larger with great donors and are really trying to drive the future of what that looks like. And I know that if I do my job right, I'm out of a job because I don't have anybody hungry in my community. And so I really hope that comes true and that we don't need a pantry anymore. But it sounds like there are certainly policy issues that are preventing you from going out of business. Um, and how do you, as, a, as an individual um, a food pantry director or part of the network that Emily represents, how do you talk to legislators about policy that might help you go out of business? Um, what, what, do you, what do you say to them? Um, 
That is something we're starting to work on. I think as far as our organization, we now have the capacity to do some more advocacy. And it's something we just recently talked about at our board retreat is kind of coming together with other organizations like Healthy Acadia or the hospital or Good Shepherd and putting together a little committee on how do we advocate for our clients and change legislation and advocate for you know better year-round affordable housing in our area public transportation, things that would put our clients to work and have more access to things. Um, I don't think we were in that able to do that, you know, three or five years ago. And now we have this capacity on our board as well as network of volunteers and people to start making those policy changes and be active in that way. And the Hunger Pains report that uh, Clara Whitney talked about from Good Shepherd Food Bank is certainly um, going to be helpful as you talk with people who are making those kinds of policy decisions. Um, You shared some of the results of uh, Hunger Pains um, with your board. Were there any surprises when you shared that information? (laughs) There were. A lot of them were in shock about what hunger looks like in the big picture of Maine. And, uh, you know, I didn't know very much about SNAP before I started this job, so I've learned a lot about SNAP and how that works and the recent policy changes and how that's affecting everyone coming. So it was very eye-opening and a learning curve for myself as well as my board members to be like, whoa, we do need to make a change. Like, we do have the capacity to get on board and help shape policies that really help not just our local population but the whole state because, you know, we all live in Maine because we love Maine and we want people to stay here Um, You know, it it helps in the long run of caring for elderly. Our population in Maine is only getting older. And it's, you know, we have less young people moving here or staying here because there's a lack of jobs. Um, So I think with mills closing around the state and a lot of what's happening is just like Clara mentioned, we need to figure out how we get industries to come Mm -hmm. to Maine and stay here so we can keep our young, motivated Mainers here in Maine. Hmm. Emily, um, yeah, Emily, what would you add to that in terms of the, the work of the, uh, the Hancock County Food um, Network? Um, how are they addressing some of this policy stuff? Um, are they talking with legislators? Are they talking with town officials? What, what's the, the role of going from that, that group that meets quarterly to influencing some of the policies? Well, um, since I've been involved in it, the network hasn't really taken that next step um, to get involved with legislator or advocacy work. Um, as an AmeriCorps VISTA, I really can't touch that realm uh-huh. at all. Yep. Um, but maybe that would be something that um, Jenny can bring up with the network going forward and that I think is a good direction to move in. Um, it's definitely worth mentioning that Preble Street, who helped put together the Hunger Pains Report, has been using this report in advocacy work that they've been doing for a long time. Um, so that, I would say, is the next step for the, mm. the network, but not something I can do necessarily. Uh-huh. one 9378 or locally 4690500 as we talk about working towards food security in Maine. Um, what else do you want to talk about, Jenny? What, what are some of the issues that you would like to see um, uh, tackled at the local level or at the state level um, that would influence uh, food security? I think locally something that I know is a very sensitive subject is housing on the island. Um, We tend to have a lack of it and a lack of affordable housing. And um, it's a hard conversation to have because our economy on the island is also very tourist-driven. And we currently also don't have enough, you know, housing for our tourists that come. You know, the park saw 3.3 million visitors last season, and that number is only going to increase. We have more cruise ships coming in, and um, we will never go back to what Bar Harbor looked like in the 70s and 80s. And I think the best thing we can do for our community is have open, honest conversations of how do we build a better future, not just for our local population, but also for our tourist industry that drives our jobs and the area there and being people being able to stay on the island and live on the island. And I, I don't have any answers yet, but I think what I would like to do is just have more 
conversations about it and how can we do that? one 625 You're t- tuned to Talk of the Towns as we talk about working towards food security. Now, one of the things that you do, you recognize that with seasonal workers, they're going to come in uh, to a place. Um, there's going to be a time bef- when they start work before they get their first paycheck. And I think um, I recall that the Bar Harbor Food Pantry um, works around that issue or helps with that issue. We do. We have a lot of seasonal workers that come to the island because um, there's just not enough of us to fill all those jobs. And um, we provide a one shopping visit for the season for those seasonal workers that come from within the U.S. and other states or from Jamaica or Eastern Europe through the visa programs. Um, so it's a way to kind of start them off, and we have that ability to do that. I, I know a lot of other pantries wouldn't do that. They want to stay in their service area. Mm-hmm. Um, but we find that it's a great way to build community and build connection, and we have that ability. Mm, great. Uh, are there other um, kind of examples of food pantries that you've looked at? Have you kind of um, gone afield and, and, and looked at best practices, either within Hancock County or w- other places? I haven't had the opportunity to tour other pantries. Um, It's difficult to schedule that with times and everything. But um, participating through the Food Security Network and Good Shepherd and Healthy Acadia, we are all coming together to have those conversations of best practices for pantries and sharing what we do. Um, Like we have a bulk food section And we've shared what that looks like and how we repackage the food so that there's a best practice for that that we can share with other pantries and as well as other pantries have shared stuff with us. Freezers and refrigerators in your operation. And that was something that didn't exist 10 years ago or so. We have a a phone call from Nikki in Blue Hill. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. Please go ahead with your question or comment. Great. Thank you. So I am the main SNAP-Ed Nutrition um, Education Coordinator through Healthy Acadia. I work with Emily. Hi. Great, great. And uh, so I cover all of Hancock County. We also have a Washington County Coordinator. Um, So I just wanted to put that out there that we are also out doing this work um, to educate people, you know, primarily low income on um, how to shop, cook, and eat on a budget. Um, you know, health in a much more healthy way. And I have a couple upcoming classes that I thought I'd um, advertise. Please, please. Um, I have one that starts on April 24th. It's at the Deer Run Apartment Complex in Deer Isle. Um, And that's at 1 o'clock, and it runs for four Mondays. And for an hour, it's called Eating Better on a Budget. And then I also have a Cooking Matters um, class coming up. And this is a really great curriculum um, partnered with Good Shepherd Food Bank. It's a six-week course for two hours on Tuesday morning. It starts April 25th and runs from 10 to noon. Um, and that class is, um, because it's two hours, we really we get to cook a whole meal together. And then the participants also get to take home um, a bag of groceries that, um, with the recipe so they can prepare the meals at home as well. Um, and they get lots of resources on cooking, and we do a grocery store tour to talk about ways to save money and and shop healthily. So, um, yeah, I just... And I'm also always looking for places to teach these kinds of classes in the community as well. So if anybody out there that's listening is interested, um, you could give me a call when I'm in the office at 667-7171. Um, or email me at Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, at HealthyAcadia.org. Well, Nikki, um, this seems to be, again, another trend in that um, organizations like yours are reaching out to clients of food pantries or clients that are using the SNAP program to help with education. What are, what are, what are those um, folks who are involved in your class, what are they most curious about? What are, what are they learning um, um, through your classes, do you suppose? Oh, good question. I mean, I think it, it definitely runs the gamut um, depending on, you know, I, I do work with a lot of senior citizens who live alone, and so they really struggle um, to be able to shop just for one person and, and you know, not have a lot of food waste mm-hmm. and, and shopping and cooking for one person. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, people who are raising young children and um, 
you know, really struggling to make ends meet and, and wanting to feed their kids the most nutritious food that there is, but also being able to do that on a budget. So, um, that's, yeah, it can that, be a challenge. That's great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to call us this morning. Yeah, Nikki. thank you. one 625 We probably have time for one short phone call, but otherwise we can talk with our guests here in the studio, Jenny Jones and um, Emily Herwitten. Um, what, what inspires you guys to do this work? Um, Emily, you're coming at, at it fairly young. Um, what, what inspires you to do this work? What inspires me is as a young person, um, sometimes it feels like there's not a lot you can do to change the world. So this is my first job mm. coming out of college. Um, and I became familiar with Healthy Acadia while I was still in school, and it seemed like an organization that really was trying and was at, was making a difference. Um, so and the AmeriCorps program also is a great program that allows young people to get into the, the field of nonprofit for the first time. Um, so just I'm inspired by the fact that I can actually make a difference, you know, in a, in a, a place in a time that it feels like I can't. <laughs> sure, sure. How about you, Jenny? What what inspires you about this work? Um, I will say part of why I'm in this realm of social service work, um, first as an educator and now running a pantry, is uh, I'll be really sappy and say my parents. I had really great parents that just continually taught me to, you know, work for the greater good and, um I I think that's why I've been super passionate about building community, um, changing people's lives. I feel like it's a way that I can contribute, especially in the bigger scheme of things when you do feel like you can't Mm -hmm. make changes. You can make really small ones that impact people on a personal level. And um, I just feel really lucky that I get paid to do that every day. (laughs) (laughs) And the last question would be, what are your hopes for the future? What would you like to see happening Um, um, in the next five years or so? In the next five years, I hope that the pantry doesn't exist, but that's (laughs) probably not the case. So what I hope is that, um, you know, maybe serendipity can grow a little bit more. Um, It's a small space, and I know that we could... Serendipity is the clothing store. Is our clothing store we operate, yeah. And, you know, having a slightly larger space for that would be like a big dream, as well as the pantry, um, you know, We are, I could offer more and store more produce and things like that if we just had a little bit bigger space. So maybe owning our own building at some point um, would be really nice. With housing on the top. Exactly. (laughs) With affordable housing on the top. You know me so well. Um, How about you, Emily? What what would you hope for um, in this realm of of food security um, as you look at the the problems in the community that you've kind of uh, adopted? In this realm, I'd hope to see that um, access to SNAP being a lot easier and people realizing that SNAP really is a good program that works. Um, I know right now it does; it's meant to serve as a supplemental, it's called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, right. you know, and so it doesn't cover people's entire budgets, but just the cut, cuts that have been made to it and the program changes have just made it even harder for people to survive. So I'd hope to see somehow a, a revival of this program and... Um, food pantries and community meals, working with this program and um, connecting their clients both to the food that they provide at the pantry, but also assistance, getting them connected to these other social services. Great. Great. Well, thanks to both of you for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. We've come to the end of the hour, and be sure to join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant from 10 to 11 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests. We had Clara Whitney of Good Shepherd Food Bank on the phone with us. Um, um, and we had um, in the studio with us Jennifer Jones, who is Executive Director of the Bar Harbor Food Pantry, and Emily Herwidden of Healthy Acadia. Uh, thanks to those of you who called in with your questions and experience. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to John Greenman for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.
A quick look at the weather before we take our break here. Sunny with a high near 58. Northwest winds around 8 miles an hour. Mostly clear tonight with a low around 31. West winds around 6. Tomorrow... Ah, mostly sunny with a high near 59. Light and variable winds becoming southwest 8 to 13 miles an hour in the morning. And Saturday night, rain likely, low of uh, 44. Sunday, chance of rain, patchy fog after uh, before 11 o'clock and the high of uh, 67. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Maine Notary Net, fulfilling wedding ceremony needs and featuring a statewide directory of signing agents. 888-587-9294 or mainnotarynet.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators thinking